And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl, my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Dick Powell stars as private investigator Richard Rogue on a nail-biting detective adventure of Rogue's Gallery from 1945. Then it's part one of the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show from 1948. With me to help present these classic radio shows is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. What's up? Are you ready for a good detective adventure? I'm ready. You Only like the detectives, don't I you? I do, but it has to be Rogue's Gallery. Yeah, no, it is Rogue's oh, good. Gallery. Oh, good. I'm good to go. Yeah, absolutely. Dick Powell starred as uh, Richard Rogue on this. It came to Mutual Radio in 1945, and Rogue was a private detective who trailed luscious blondes like you, Lisa, protected witnesses, and did whatever else detectives do to make a living. What set this show apart from others in the genre was that midway through just about every episode, Rogue would invariably end up getting knocked out and spending his dream time in a cerbic conversation on Cloud 8 with his subconscious self named Ugor, which was Rogue spelled backwards. The presence of the alter ego, Ugor, served to give Rogue enough information for his final deduction. Directed by D. Engelbach, with music by Leif Stevens, Rogue's Gallery employed radio's best supporting actors, including Lou Merrill, Gerald Moore, Gloria Blondell, Tony Barrett, Lorraine Tuttle, and Peter Leeds. Dick Powell left the series in 1946 and would later star as Richard Diamond, private detective. Rogue's Gallery continued on until 1952, starring Barry Sullivan and later Paul Stewart as Richard Rogue. But we have a Dick Powell episode for you now, going back to November 8, 1945. This is called Little Drops of Rain. Here's Dick Powell as Richard Rogue on Rogue's Gallery. The F.W. Fitch Company presents Dick Powell as Private Detective Richard Rogue. In Rogue's Gallery. Rogue speaking. Well, tonight you're going to meet some charming people. And you're going to run into a little bit of very fancy murder. The name of the story is Little Drops of Rain. Here's Dick Powell as Private Detective Richard Rogue in another personally conducted tour through Rogue's Gallery. Well, I'm still confined to my little cranked-up downy couch in the hospital, but not as still as I was last week. I am now allowed to get up and totter around a little, and I use the word totter advisedly. My legs act like strangers 
who have different political beliefs and my knees have suddenly developed sideways hinges. But my nurses, ah, my nurses. Yes, they're beautiful and tender and resistant. And speaking of nurses, nurses are girls and girls are my favorite pastime. And that brings me up to the girl who has done the most to confuse my life. Liza, the girl I was so sincerely in love with a couple of months ago. Liza was in to see me. She just left and we were talking about the time when I showed up at her apartment for a date. It was raining out and I was sitting at the piano doodling around a little bit. I don't want to go to a nightclub tonight, Richard. I'm too tired. Let's just go to a show, shall we? Anything you say, baby. That's the kind of guy I am. I want to see two girls in a sailor. It's playing at the Rialto. June Allison's in that, isn't she? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's for me, then. You think so? Definitely. You think she's prettier than I am? Well, you're, you're not in pictures, Angel. Do you think she's prettier than I am? Well, well you're, a, you're a different type. Are you going to answer me? Oh, if you're jealous. <laughs> How can you be jealous of a girl I don't even know? Give me a kiss. No. No, but baby, I love you. I love you like anything. Tiff. All right, all right, all right. Pop then. I don't care. You're uh, insufferable, Richard Rogue. Oh, now quit potting. Come on over here. On the bench by me. Are we going to a show or not? Sure. Get your lipstick on again and we'll see what... Oh. I'll get it. No, I'll answer. It's probably George. Oh, George. Well, I'll tell him, that homewrecker. Hello. Is Mr. Rogue there? Mm, speaking. Uh, this is your call service, Mr. Rogue. We got a call for you. Oh, uh, oh. Who is it? Uh, uh, Mrs. Harvey Burgess says it's very important. Okay, put her on. Right. Oh, put her on. Who is it? <laughs> Hello? Uh, Richard Rogue speaking. This is Mrs. Harvey Burgess. Yes? I must see you at once, Mr. Rogue. Oh, well, any time tomorrow, Mrs. I Burgess. I must see you tonight, immediately. It is most important. Well, can't you tell me about it over the phone? Oh, no. Could you come to my house at once? Uh, what's the address? 485 Hillcrest. You'll be well paid for your time. Please hurry. I'll be right out, Mrs. Burgess. Wait for me. I'll be right back, honey. Go on. Go on out to see Mrs. Burgess. Don't mind me, Dick Tracy. Well, what can I do? Mrs. Harvey Burgess was the wife of a tycoon with a dollar for every Democrat in Georgia. I tried to explain to Liza, but I was talking to myself and I left for the Burgess residence. <laughs> I left Liza burning like Mrs. O'Leary's barn. The Burgess mansion was a huge colonial affair. George Washington could have slept there every night. He was at Valley Forge and never seen the same room twice. A butler who talked like he was choking to death on an olive pit conducted me into the library and uh, into the presence of Mrs. Harvey Burgess. Oh, my. What a presence. She was sitting in front of the open fire, filling out a hostess gown that didn't straighten out any of the curves she featured. I pulled my eyes back into my head and tried not to look too interested. Sit down, Mr. Rogue. Oh, uh, 
Thank you. I, I'm in a bit of a hurry tonight, Mrs. Burgess. Uh, as a matter of fact, I... Mr. Rogue, my husband is making a fool of himself. Yes? He's lost his mind completely over a secretary in his office. His secretary. A girl by the name of Helen Stark. You, you mean that... Yes, I mean he prefers her company to mine. Well, that doesn't sound reasonable, if you'll pardon me for saying so. What do you want me to do? Somebody has to bring Harvey back to his senses, Mr. Rogue. Well, I'm afraid you've called in the wrong man. I'm not very good at long fatherly talks. Oh, and Mr. I... Rogue, please, I'm so lonely. Hey, hey, now, wait a minute. Good grief. You mean to tell me that Harvey is neglecting you? <laughs> what you need to straighten Harvey out is a psychiatrist, not a detective. Harvey is definitely off his trolley. Please help me, Mr. Rowe. No, 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 Mrs. Burgess. I, I... He's with her right this minute. How do you know? When he left the house tonight, I followed him. He went to the home of his best friend, Clarence Roman. I parked across the street. I was going in and faced them, but I saw Mr. Roman leave, and I lost my nerve. That's when I called you. Oh, Mr. Rogue, I want you to go out there and talk to Harvey. Tell him I know all about him and that Stark girl, and... I'm suing him for divorce. Well, that's not my kind of work, Mrs. Burgess. I I'm Please. sorry, but I... I don't want a divorce, Harvey. But I do want him back. Oh. And I'm sure that if you will do as I say, he'll come back. You must do it for me, Mr. Rogue. Here... Uh... Oh, where is it? I have $500 here in an envelope. You did? Now, uh, wait a minute here. Let me see. Uh, oh, oh. Is this it? Yes. That's your fee. Hmm. For going out there with me, Mr. Rogan. Trying to bring Harvey back to his senses. You'll do it for me, won't you, Mr. Rogue? Well, I, uh... You'll do it for me, won't you, Mr. Rogue? Okay. Come along. Well, it seems there's nobody home. There's my husband's convertible out in front, right where he left it tonight when I followed him out here. How did the girl arrive? In her car. Oh, her car isn't here. It was right behind Harvey's. Looks like we got here too late, doesn't it? Try the door. I know Harvey's still here. All right. You're an old friend of Roman's, I suppose. Yes. Why? Uh, I just want to know before I try to open the door. You see, there are laws against that sort of thing. Hmm. Door's unlocked. Do we go in? Yes. Okay. After you. You know the house better than I do. Go ahead. All right. The living room is over here. Well, nobody home. Look, Mrs. Burgess, we better get out of here. No. I know Harvey's in this house someplace, and I'm going to find him. I can't... What are you sniffing for? Wait a minute. That smell in the air. You get it? What? Oh. I don't smell anything. You don't? I smell chloroform. Chloroform? Yeah. You take a look upstairs. I'm going to shake down the first floor. That smell of chloroform can mean trouble, you know. Mr. Rogue, what do you mean? You're frightening me. Mrs. Burgess was very fetching when she was frightened. But I calmed her down a little bit. Now, this may sound fantastic, but I've got a little bell in my head that rings an alarm every time I really get around serious trouble. 
And it was playing a tune that sounded too much like a death march right that minute. I had to get her out of the way. She finally went upstairs and I went to work. I took the living room first and looked behind all the couches and in all the dark corners. I was bending over, looking under a huge Italian carved table when I thought I heard a stealthy footstep behind me. Don't move. Oh, my ears were still full of that ringing scream Mrs. Burgess had let out as I caught that sock behind the ear and drifted gently through space toward cloud number eight and my alter ego, Hugo. I was hoping he wouldn't be there, but he was. Sitting there with that silly smirk on his face with his little short legs pulled up under his chin and his funny little arms around them and his long white beard waving the cosmic breeze. <laughs> Hello, Richard. Welcome home. No, shut up. <laughs> That's a fine attitude. You go prowling around a strange house and get caught at it and knocked out. Then you come up here and take it out on me. Get out of here, you ingrate. Oh, stop acting like a landlord, Yugor. What happened to me? <laughs> Are you kidding? Tell me, why did Mrs. Burgess scream? Answer me, Yugor. Do you know why she screamed? <laughs> sure. You ready to tell me? <laughs> no. Find out for yourself. <laughs> You're a detective. Oh, someday I'm going to get rid of you, you little pest. <laughs> Why don't you get back to work? You got a date with Liza, you know. She's still waiting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, here goes. <laughs> come on, Rose, please, come on. You didn't have to hit him so hard, Clarence. <coughs> oh, who hit me? I'm Clarence Roman Rogue. I came home, I found the front door unlocked, I walked in, I saw a strange man prowling around my parlor. A woman screamed and I hit you with my cane. Oh, well, what do you carry for a cane? A ball bat? Why did you scream, Mrs. Burgess? I found my husband. Upstairs. He's dead, murdered! Well, I had accepted a case for Mrs. Harvey Burgess, a suspicious wife. Yes, that's the Mrs. Harvey Burgess of the Burgess Millions. She suspected her husband of having a rendezvous with Helen Stark, his secretary, at the home of Clarence Roman, Burgess's best friend, and we went out there together. Nobody answered the door, so we went in. My suspicions were aroused when I smelled the unmistakable odor of chloroform. Mrs. Burgess was looking around upstairs while I searched the downstairs. Suddenly, I heard Mrs. Burgess scream. <laughs> That snapped me out of it. I got to my feet and ran up the stairs. Mrs. Burgess and Roma were right behind me, and she directed me into the library, which was just off the main hall. And there he was, as dead as last summer's romance, with a neat little blue hole right below the part in his hair. He was a nice-looking old guy, about 50, which made him a good 25 years older than his wife. And his widow was really taking his death big, which was natural. A woman doesn't have a husband murdered every day. 
Poor Harvey, this is horrible. Has anything in this room been moved or touched? Well, I just arrived home, I wouldn't... When I, I looked wouldn't... in here and saw Harvey, I knew he was dead. I screamed. Yes, yes, I heard you. Then you ran right downstairs, Yes, huh? sir. I saw Mr. Roman hit you, and I ran down to tell him who you were. And... It's a little late. Okay. Just don't touch anything. Stay right there in the door, both of you. Just who are you to be giving us orders? You'll find out. Ever see this gun before? Yes. Where? It was Harvey's. He kept it in his desk at the office. Oh, you recognized it mighty quickly. How? It has his initials on it. I can see them from here, inset in the butt of the gun. Oh. His gun, huh? Yeah. Well, it wasn't suicide. Not with the gun clear over here on the opposite side of the room. This is murder. <laughs> hey, what's the matter? Well, this ought to do it. What is it? What's your handkerchief? <laughs> A very nice linen handkerchief with initials in the corner. And blood on it. What initials? H.S. Helen Stark, that's her handkerchief. She killed Harvey. She killed my Harvey. Is there a phone upstairs here? Yes, you'll find an extension in the hall. Thanks. Come on out of this room. I don't want anything touched or moved. Now, now. Dear, please. You two wait for me downstairs. I'll be down just a minute. As soon as I call the police. Hello, Urban. Richard Rogue. Yeah, who's dead? Harvey Burgess, wise guy. Hmm? You mean it? You mixed up in another murder, Rogie? Sure. You'd never find a body if it wasn't for me. Where are you? At the residence of Clarence Roman on Cypress Avenue, 2120. Better get the boys and get out here. Be right there. Got any leads on the killer? Uh, a couple of vague ideas. Stay there until I get there, Rogue. Liza, darling. This is Rogie. Oh, you know what time it is. Oh, sure, honey. I'll give you I... ten minutes to get back here and take me to that show. What? Oh. Uh, look, Roman. Roman, the cops will be here in a minute. Tell Urban, that's Lieutenant Urban, he'll be in charge for the police, that I'll be right back, will you? Tell him I went out to get a murderess for him. Of course. And I hope you manage to catch her, Rogue. Good evening. Is uh, Helen Stark at home? I, I I beg your pardon. I'm I'm a bit deaf. I I, I couldn't hear you. Oh, uh, I said, is Helen Stark at home? Oh, oh, Helen. Uh, no, no, she isn't home this evening. Has she been home? I say, has she been home in the last hour? Uh, no, no, she hasn't. I I don't know what time to expect her either. But I imagine she'll be home soon, though. You know where she is. Well, she didn't come home from the office tonight. She's she's working late. Oh. She called you and told you she wouldn't be home? Yes, yes. She said she was going to work with Mr. Burgess. That's her boss, you know, the, the millionaire. Yes. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, could I uh, could I tell her who called? No, no, no. That, uh, that won't be necessary. Thanks. Ah. Hmm? Thanks very much, Mr. Stark. I... Oh, uh... 
You and Helen live here all alone? Yes, yes, since her mother died several years ago. Uh, are you an old friend of Helen's? No, a very recent acquaintance. No. I'm sorry I bothered you, Mr. Stark. Good night. Good evening. Nice out after the rain, isn't it? Yeah, sure is. Good night. Good night. Oh, that nice little old guy. It was going to be tough for him to realize that his daughter was a killer. I hated the world as I walked down the steps from that porch and started for my car. I, uh... Oh, I don't like murder. It upsets so many people who aren't involved in the act or the reasons for it. Yeah, I guess I'm a chicken-hearted Patsy. But if I am, I'm glad. Anyway, I was walking down the walk when that little bell rang in my massive intellect again. I noticed something. Something peculiar. There were tire tracks running into the stock garage. It had only stopped raining about 45 minutes before, and if that car had been driven into the garage while it was still raining, there would be no tracks. They would have been washed away. Now, very peculiar. I ran up the driveway and opened the overhead garage door. Then I jumped back. And that's the first portion of Rogue's Gallery from 1945. Dick Powell returns along with Mike Lease and I after these words. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com. And receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to Rogue's Gallery. The garage was full of carbon monoxide. I wet my handkerchief in a puddle of rainwater, held it over my nose, and ran into the garage. I wrestled the door of the small coupe open and saw a young girl, unconscious, slumped over the steering wheel. I pulled her out of there. She was dead weight and carried her into the house. Oh, Helen. Helen. I'm afraid it's a little late for that, Mr. Stark. Where's your telephone? In the hall. Right in the hall. Thanks. I'll get a pull motor squad out here right away. Get 
Get a pole motor squad to 640 Inglewood Drive. Attempted suicide. Bad shape. Rush it. Right. Raymond, Ramsey, Redding, Roman. Roman, Clarence. Lieutenant Urban, please. There's a Richard Rogue, and it's important. This is Urban speaking, Rogue. I thought I told you to stay here. Look, never mind the arguments. Get out here to 640 Inglewood Drive. I've got Helen Stark for you. You have? Nice work. I want to talk to that young lady. Well, you missed the boat. I think she's dead. Suicide. Carbon monoxide poisoning. Step on it. Okay, Rogie. I'll be there in ten minutes. Don't go away. <laughs> I gave Helen Stark my own interpretation of artificial respiration until the pull motor squad got there. Urban arrived on the heels of the fire department, and we went out and looked around in the garage. Made some fascinating discoveries, too. The car had run out of gas and stopped turning over, for one thing. And one thing led to another, to coin a phrase. Anyway, Urban and I made a little deal. I went back to the Roman residence, and while he and his boys were being scientific, I... Sat in the parlor and talked with Mrs. Burgess and Clarence Roman. Mrs. Burgess had recovered her poise to some extent. They were both very anxious to know all about my daring capture of the Stark girl. I'm glad she's dead. I couldn't stand a trial. I'm glad she committed suicide. Yes, I I guess it seemed like the only way out. She wasn't very smart about murder, leaving clues all over the place the way she did. Even the cops would have had her in 24 hours. How well did you know the Stark girl, Roman? Rather well. I'd see her on the office a great deal. Harvey was, well, not very discreet about the fact that he was fond of Please, Clarence. Harvey's dead. We should forget those things. He was a good husband. I... I don't know what life is going to be like without him. I just have an idea that it's going to be pretty simple, Mrs. Burgess. And possibly rather short. What do you mean? I mean that the police suspected you and Mr. Roman murdered your husband and Miss Stark. That's a serious accusation, Rogue. Your husband was suing you for divorce, wasn't he, Mrs. Burgess? He knew you were going to be there with Mr. Roman, his best friend tonight. So he came and surprised you with Helen Stark for a witness, didn't he? And you, Mr. Roman, you killed him and then you had to kill Helen Stark to shut her up. This is preposterous. Ah, sit down, Roman. You were right, Rogie. We found Roman's fingerprints on the steering wheel of Helen Stark's car. One of the boys just got back with a report that Roman's shoe is a perfect fit in that shoe print outside Stark's garage. I had nothing to do with this. Clarence killed Harvey and then he chloroformed that Stark girl and then... You're in this as far as I am. Shut up! I've got more news for you, Roman. Helen Stark isn't dead. The car ran out of gas just in time. She'll be there to appear against you when you're tried. For murder. Liza, honey. I don't want to talk to you, Richard Rogue. I'm busy. Oh, now, honey. The lady says she's busy. Yeah? Who are you? The name is George. Good night, chump. Ah, 
little drops of rain. The stuff we're getting so much of out here in California right now saved Helen Stark's life. Because if I hadn't noticed those tire tracks, she would have stayed in the garage until it was too late for the pole motor squad to save her. Ah, yes, sir. Little drops of rain put the curse on what was almost a perfect double murder. With the help of my massive intellect, there's only one thing I can't understand. How come a guy as smart as I am gets hit on the head so often? Answer me that, will you? This is Dick Powell again, ladies and gentlemen. How did you like our little story tonight? Ray Buffum wrote it. Leith Stevens composed and conducted the music, and D. Engelbach produced and directed. Oh, uh, don't forget to tune in next Thursday night. We're going to present a strange story of a house where everybody was scared. We call it the House of Fear. So make a date with us, will you? Thanks for listening, and good night, all. Now here's Jim Doyle. Don't forget to tune in again next Thursday, same time, same station, when you will again hear Dick Powell as Richard Rogue in Rogue's Gallery. And that's Rogue's Gallery from November 8th, 1945, with Little Drops of Rain, starring Dick Powell, also in the cast, Peter Leeds, as heard on Mutual. Hope you enjoyed that. All right, Lisa, you ready for a good comedy episode now? I'm a sucker for a good comedy. You know, this was one of the funniest shows on radio, the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. This comedy series starred singer, band leader Phil Harris and his real-life wife, actress-singer Alice Faye. It came to NBC Radio in 1948, and the two played fictionalized versions of themselves as a working showbiz couple raising two daughters. Elliot Lewis portrayed Phil's best friend, guitar player Frankie Remley, who managed to get Phil into hot water in just about every show. Other regular characters was obnoxious delivery boy Julius, played by Walter Tetley. Tetley is best remembered for his role of Leroy on The Great Gildersleeve. The Phil Harris and Alice Faye Show enjoyed a healthy run on radio, lasting until 1954. We have part one of an episode now from October 24th, 1948. This is called The Live Steer. It stars Phil Harris and Alice Faye on part one of The Phil Harris and Alice Faye Show. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday. Time for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and your Rexall Family Drugs. And now your Rexall Family Druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet. With Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Gail Gordon, Walter Scharf and his music, yours truly Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Like most housewives, Alice is concerned about the high cost of living. It's been bothering her for some time, and this morning she's decided to broach the subject to Phil. Phil, can I talk to you a minute? It's about the household bills. and Honey, please. I have no time for things like bills. I'm a musician. (laughs) An artist, honey, an artist. My mind is filled with nothing but music. Now, if you'll excuse me, I want to listen to this record. What's the name of it? The Warsaw Concerto by Shostakovich. You're going to listen to that? Certainly, and if I like the tune, I'm going to sing it on the program next week. That ought to be different. 
Now, look, Phil, I've got to talk to you about these bills. We're spending too much, and it's all your fault. You're too extravagant. Look at this pile of bills from Saks Fifth Avenue, John Fredericks, Hattie Carnegie. Whoops, I <laughs> picked up my pile by mistake. <laughs> And I'm extravagant. Well, you are. Look at these bills. Custom-made suits, hand-painted ties, imported shoes, suede shirts... All right, all right. Watch your blood pressure. Take it easy now. Picking on me. How about this bill? $8 for manicures, $15 for finger waves, and $20 for facials, massages, cold creams, and lotions. Are you going to find fault with this one? No, no. Those items are necessities. Well, I'm glad you feel that way. Being in the public eye, I need all them things. (laughs) Besides, I'm not the only one that's extravagant. Look at these household bills. Look at this one from the grocer. Why do we need all these imported cheeses and fancy canned stuff? You won't eat anything else. Well, how about this butcher bill? Why do we have to have steaks, chops, and prime ribs all the time? That's all you'll eat. (laughs) Oh. Well, how about this $40 milk bill, and let's see you tie that one on to me. (laughs) Bill, there's no point in arguing. William suggested we cut down on meat. As our business manager, he feels we can save money there. In fact, he's out right now doing the shopping for us. Oh, well, he's doing the shopping. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fine. Ain't that ducky? I can just see him raising Mary Ned because the price of Dutch cleanser has gone up a halfpenny. <laughs> Look, Alice, I'll tell you one thing. You'd better come home with steaks because Frankie and the boys in the band are coming over for dinner tomorrow night and they'll be expecting those nice, juicy steaks I always serve. Oh, boy, I can't Good wait. Good morning, Philip. <laughs> Well, if it ain't Bargain Boy Faye, the scourge of Safeway. How did you make out, William? I got everything you need for tomorrow night, and I... Oh, it was quite a load to carry. I'm all tuckered out. <laughs> well, give Grandma your basket, little red riding hood. Come on, Willie, open the sacks. Let me see those steaks you got for tomorrow night. My mouth is watering for some of those oh, good... Oh, Philip, I didn't get steaks. I got something much more delicious. Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something better than steaks, huh? What are we having? Creamed codfish balls. (laughs) Creamed cod... Willie, please, don't say things like that. You know I'm a musician and I just got up. I'm in a weakened... (laughs) Creamed cod... Philip, the cuts of steak you like cost $1.50 a pound. Much too expensive. Now, the menu I I prepared for tomorrow night is excellent. Cream codfish balls are wonderful. They're inexpensive, nutritious, and positively delicious. Thank you, Prudence Penny. (laughs) Get lost, Elroy. What are you trying to do, poison my friends? With you arranging the dinner, how can it possibly be a success? It will be a success, Philip. It will. I guarantee that after a few cocktails, they... I don't care what... Cocktails? (laughs) Brother William, you may return to the fold. (laughs) All is forgiven. Well, hey, are you sure you got enough to drink for all of us? Definitely, Philip. I got two whole gallons of sauerkraut juice. Is it cold? (laughs) 
Sauerkraut juice? Yes. Isn't it an ideal combination? Oh, Daph, Daph. <laughs> yes, indeedy. I can't wait to dunk a codfish ball into a puddle of sauerkraut. <laughs> Philip, I don't know why you're making all this fuss. Alice, do you see anything wrong with a combination of sauerkraut juice and cream uh, codfish? Please, please, Willie. I feel a little faint myself. <laughs> Thanks for your help, brother, but I'll take over from here. Very well, Alice. I'll just carry it into the kitchen for you. Uh, shall I leave it on the table or shall I put it in the refrigerator? Just throw it on the floor. <laughs> Maybe the cat will get at it. <laughs> Willie. Frankie and the guys are coming over for steak and now... Come in! Frankie, I don't mind. He's like one of the family. He don't come over just for what he gets to eat. Ah, oh, hello, Frankie. What time do we eat, Curly? <laughs> Frankie, the dinner isn't until tomorrow night. Oh. Well, in that case, I better take off this napkin. <laughs> I could have sworn that you said tonight was the day. All right, all right, come on in. You can have dinner with us tonight, too. That's real nice of you, Curly. Frankie, look, I'm glad you came over. Something's got me awful upset. And, well, you're the only one I can talk to. Seems like you're the only friend I got who will listen to me. Yeah, what time did you say we're going to eat? <laughs> I didn't say. I told you that it's still three hours until dinner. You're a little over-anxious, aren't you? Of course not. I didn't come over here just to eat. Then put away the knife and fork. <laughs> Look, Remley. I got some bad news for you. Yeah? We're not having steak tomorrow night. I hope you don't mind, kid. No, that's okay, Curly. I ain't particular. I'll eat anything. If I can't have steak, I'll eat something else. What are we going to have? Cream codfish ball. <laughs> Frankie, come back here! <laughs> Now, come on inside. All right, but if you ever say a thing like that to me again, I'll punch you right in the nose. Close that door. Come on in. You ought to know very well it ain't my fault. Willie says that we're spending too much money on meat, and he's going to arrange the menu. Willie, that's square. Suppose that means we're not going to have any drinks before dinner. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, sir. We're going to have cocktails. Good. What kind? Well, we're going to have... Excuse me. What are you doing? I got to bolt the door before I lay this one on. <laughs> Frankie, we're going to have sauerkraut juice before the codfish balls. <laughs> sauerkraut juice and codfish. Curly? What? I hate you. I want steak. Stop thinking of yourself all the time. Alice says steak costs her a dollar and a half a pound, and we can't afford it all the time. There you are. That's the trouble with women. They don't know how to shop. Why should she pay a buck and a half? Curly, why don't you do the shopping? You can buy in quantity like a guy I know. He bought a whole steer and he got it for 30 cents a pound. He had it cut up and packaged and he brought 30 it. 30 cents a pound. That's all. Yeah. 30 cents. That's all. Hey, I could show Alice. 
With a whole steer, I could have steak every day. And... Sure. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, what does a steer weigh? Pretty big, Curly. They weigh about 100 pounds. <laughs> about 100, huh? Cost you about 30 bucks for the whole thing. If you want one, I know a guy who's got a ranch and I can get it for you. You can? Uh-huh. Hey, look, Frankie, I'm going to buy one. Look, I can't leave now. You go over and buy it for me. Get the best meat he's got. Have it cut up into steaks and charge it to me. Okay, Curly. I'll take care of everything. Good. Now, you buy the meat and let me know as soon as you consummate the deal. Okay. (laughs) Consummate? What's he expect me to get? Soup meat? Gee, I wonder why Frankie hasn't called yet. He's been gone two hours. Oh, man, I can't wait to get that meat in the refrigerator. Just think, a hundred pounds of nice, thick, juicy steaks all cut up and neatly packaged. And... Hey, I bet that's Frankie now. Oh, I can't wait to sink my teeth into those ever-loving fillets. Hiya, Curly. Hiya, Frankie. Well, did you buy my meat? Yeah, I got it with me. Already? Well... Well, don't just stand there. Bring it in. Okay. Come on, bossy. <laughs> Frankie, what have you got there? Your meat. Beautiful hunk of bovine, ain't it? But I didn't want it that way. I wanted it all wrapped up so I could put it in the refrigerator. Okay, get a piece of paper and we'll wrap them up. <laughs> Frankie, I thought we were going to have it butchered and all cut up. Oh, this guy's just a rancher. He doesn't butcher it. Uh, Curly, it cost a little more than I expected. Instead of 30, it cost 40 cents a pound. 30, 40, 30. What's the difference? (laughs) All right. I don't mind that. Certainly it's all right. 40 cents a pound for 100 pounds. Curly. only... Curly. (laughs) What? Weighs a little more, too. How much? 1,100 pounds. (laughs) 1,100. Remley, why do you do these things to me? I never done nothing to you. I never kicked your grandmother. I never did nothing to you. What are you getting excited about? What are you getting excited about? Instead of 30 bucks, it's costing you a measly $440. (laughs) Besides that, you got enough meat here for two years. Still cheaper than a dollar and a half a pound. Oh, I guess you're right. But what am I going to do with this animated Bull Durham sign? (laughs) Eat it. Eat it. Eat it. Fine. Yeah, eat it. It's fine. I can just see him walking around the dining room table and everybody takes a bite as he goes... Eat it. Please, Curly, let's not be ubiquitous. <laughs> Naturally, we slaughter the animal first. Let's take him in the kitchen and get started. Frankie, we can't bring that thing in the kitchen. Well, why not? Alice is a little eccentric. She don't like to have strange stairs running around the house. <laughs> Antisocial, huh? <laughs> none of my business, Curly, but at times your wife is inclined to be difficult. What's the matter with her, anyway? Well, you know how women are. She's just... Oh, shut up! You go! 
Why, if Alice ever saw what I bought, she'd think that I'm completely Bill! off... Bill, who rang the bell before? Hey, it's Alice. Quick, Frankie. Now, leave that steer on the porch and come on in and shut the door. Hurry up. Okay. Now, not a word to Alice. She mustn't know that you Bill, got... Bill, did someone come... Oh, hello, Frankie. Hi, Alice. Say, you look very well. <laughs> well, the same to you. What kind of a greeting is that? Frankie, I... 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 Who, who's that stomping out on our porch, Phil? Who? Oh, that's... Uh, oh, oh, honey, it's my lady harpist. <laughs> what is she wearing, army shoes? What is she doing out on the porch? Who brought her over? Your wife's a nosy little blonde, ain't she? Quiet, will you? Keep quiet a minute. Alice, listen to me. Now, the Lady Harpers came over to rehearse, and, um, well, she, she didn't want to disturb us, so she's practicing outside. Well, I must admit she's playing it much better this week. <laughs> Bill Harris, I'm going to see who's out on that porch myself. Alice, I wouldn't go out there for... I'm going to see... <laughs> For heaven's sakes. Oh, Something Phil. wrong, Alice? Oh, Phil, Phil Harris, what is that horrible monster you've got out there? Oh. Huh? Oh, honey, oh, it's... Oh, it's just a steer. What? I bought it to save money on meat. Look, now this way, it only costs 40 cents a pound, and we'll have enough meat for two years. Yeah, come on, Curly, let's take it in the kitchen, cut it up into steaks, and put it in the refrigerator. No, no, now wait a minute. Now, you take that thing into my kitchen. If you want it slaughtered, take it over to the butcher. Okay, we'll take it over to the market. Come on, Curly. All right. Hey. What? Hey, Remley. How are we going to get him over there? Same way I brought him over to your house. Hey, taxi. <laughs> Frankie, you brought the steer over here in a taxi? I had to. The streetcar was too crowded. Cut that! <laughs> Which reminds me, Curly. You owe me twenty-eight seventy-five for taxi. Pay. All right, all right, you'll get it. It's only a half a mile to the market. We'll walk it over. All right. Come on, bossy. See you later, Alice. So long, fellas. Gee, I'm a lucky girl. It isn't every husband who brings his wife a live steer. That's the first portion of the Phil Harris and Alice Faye Show from October 24th, 1948. We'll have the conclusion on our next show. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time we'll have the conclusion to the Phil Harris and Alice Faye Show from 1948. Then Lamont Cranston and the lovely Margot Lane will be here to present The Shadow in the Giant of Madras. You won't want to miss that. Lisa and I and Mike Costello will be back on our next show. Make sure you're with us.